it shouldn't be about how much you're going to make, how much you're going to make off this client. Uh, it should be how can you help this client? I always say if, if you help the client, the money will always follow because they'll give you referrals, they'll do other things, and you'll eventually make money from helping that person. I mean, typically you would anyways, uh, you know, because we do get paid for our work, but, uh, you know, it's, it's not chasing commissions and doing anything like that. So, um, you know, in, in my opinion, if you do what's right for the client, you'll never have an issue. So I always believe in what's called like a no sell sale, right? Not that we're really selling anything, but I always say, if you find yourself in a position where you feel like you need to sell something to the client, we're like, all right, how do I pitch this to the client? How do I, you know, or like, let's get pumped. Let's go in there and sell this thing. Um, it's probably not right for the client because if it's right for them, you don't have to sell it to them. It sells itself. Welcome to the Active Advisor Podcast, brought to you by Harbor Capital. Join us as we learn from pros who have helped thousands of investors live better lives. I'm Brian Moore, and I'll be chatting with some of the brightest minds in the financial advisory business, bringing you insights on practice management and investment research that works for advisors and their clients. Joining me today on this episode of the Active Advisor Podcast is Brian Keenan, CFP, President and CEO of Keenan Financial, based in Boston, Massachusetts. Keenan Financial is a wealth management and financial planning firm that provides comprehensive wealth management services to a select clientele of high net worth individuals, families, and associations. Brian and the team at Keenan believe in building long-term relationships and are committed to providing services tailored specifically to each individual client. His company serves as a financial and insurance concierge to their clients. Brian holds numerous licenses within those fields. Brian's clients include individuals and families where he offers an array of services from financial planning and investments to insurance and mortgages. He also serves business owners and businesses by offering expertise in setting up benefit plans, all forms of liability insurance, and succession planning. He handles all that for his clients so they can focus on what they do best. Welcome and thanks for joining us, Brian. Thanks for having me. I'm a pleasure to be here. It's a great background behind you. I assure everybody uh, that it is real. So I have, we asked you about that just before we joined. Yeah. So yeah. one of the things um, besides me drifting, staring at your background, uh, typically I found, at least in my journey into the financial business, um, there's always something that kind of, you know, tugged at you, kind of captivated your attention. Uh, what's the first memory you have related to money or investing? I think it's just from when I was young. I mean, the idea of being able to make money with money was always something that uh, really appealed to me, whether it's you know, putting it probably when I was really young in a bank account, or maybe you know my parents might have fooled me and said, if you put money into this piggy bank or something, and you look in a week from now, there might be a little bit more in there. Maybe they did something like that. So uh, to pinpoint the exact one, I don't know. I just knew I always uh, was kind of drawn to it. Um, and trying to figure out in different ways in which you can do it. Um, and But I think just the idea of being able to take money and be able to make more money with it was definitely the number one thing that attracted me to you know, sort of the finance industry. Nice. And, and typically one of the things that definitely people, uh, you know, they tend to gravitate towards the finance industry, you see a high correlation uh, with people who play sports. And, there, you know, I, I don't know if it's the competitive nature of the two um, that seems to kind of, you know, bring it out in both of us or in all of us. Uh, but I know you're a hockey fan and I know you've been playing on a men's league for quite a while. Has your dedication to playing hockey and any had any impact on your career path or success thus far? I mean, I think all sports, right? So, I mean, I recently did some, um, you know, some of the hockey leagues with uh, one of my colleagues who convinced me to do them with him. So, um, but for the most part, I think you hit the nail right on the head. I, typically, the majority of the 
top producing advisors in our industries are former athletes, whether it's high school or college. And I think that all comes back to the competitiveness of it. You know, not only do they want to be a good advisor, they want to be, you know, the best in their class of advisors at their company. They want to be the best in their company. They want to be the best in the industry. So um, in my opinion, that's really where it comes from. It's just, you want to be the best. You know, for me, if I sit down with a client and they're like, we're also speaking with another advisor, you know, kind of turns a gear up in me and I'm like, all right, well, there's no way we're going to lose this. Like you're going to find, uh, you just don't know it yet. So, um, you know, that's kind of, I think where, where it comes from for a lot of people, but it's definitely something we look for in our recruiting when we bring in uh, new advisors is, you know, what, what is their level of competitiveness? Um, you know, we have you know, a lot of companies you probably know put out, you know, scoreboards or weekly, whatever, how much business you've done and this and that. And mm-hmm. you know, we, we do that in our office. We make it a little bit more fun. You know, we use nicknames and not everybody's, uh, you know, full name. So it's a little bit more fun that way. They like to call it the power rankings, uh, just like in football, uh, you know, that ESPN puts out, I think. So, um, you know, we just try to tailor to that. We're like, hey, if you guys want to be competitive and you want to compete, we're going to make it fun and we're going to have ways to do it. So. Uh, you know, we try to always find different ways for them to be able to do that in the office, but uh, you're absolutely right. The competitiveness is really where it all stems from. No, that's great. And, and typically, I, I know you, you know, you've owned your own firm and, and you started at Keenan. So I, I'd like to think that, you know, when you were working at firms prior to Keenan, that you've definitely had some idea that you could do something or you could do it better or somehow enhance upon something. So you made the decision to go out on your own in 2016 and start Keenan Financial. Looking back, was there a pivotal moment or a moment you can point, you know, kind of, you know, isolate uh, when you knew that your direction and, you know, and ultimately your decision was to, to start Keenan, or was this something you just kind of been considering for a while? Um, I mean, yeah, I'd only had three years experience when I decided to start it. So um, for me, it seemed like a while because I'd been thinking about it for about a year or so, but obviously being 25 at the time, I was like, I don't know if any, you know, anyone's going to want to work with me being that young or any clients want to come with me or whatever it is. So I knew I could get clients. I just didn't know what they would think if I was also the owner of the business. Um, so from that standpoint, um, you know, I had been thinking about it for about a year or so. But for me, there was really two points that kind of drove it home for me. All right, it's, it's time for me to go was one, uh, you know, on the selfish side of it was just the pay you know, that you receive. You're like, I'm putting in all this hard work and a lot of companies are set up, whether it's a manager, you know, a VP, people above that who all get a percentage of your business. And, you know, I was just kind of tired of that um, where, you know, that was when I was like, all right, well, I'm doing all of this business and nobody even knows where I am or what I'm doing, the clients I'm getting, the business I'm bringing in. And that's when the second realization came and I was like, they don't even really uh, or I don't really need them anymore, you know, as far as what we're doing um, and even just different philosophies on investments or products or whatever it was. Mine was a little bit different than the way that I was trained to do it. So for me, it was like, well, you know, every time I come back with a new client, they ask, well, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? And I said, I think this was better for the client. And, you know, so I you know, always get kind of yelled at for that. So for me, it was like, you know what, we obviously don't see eye to eye. Um, you know, I can leave and I can, you know, ideally get paid more because I'm going to be keeping all of the revenue. Um, but also I don't necessarily need you anymore. So I don't know why I would, you know, continue to pay you. Um, but then, you know, really the more, most important realization was for the clients. I mean, I sat down with a bunch of clients where they were off, Hey, can you help us with taxes? Can you help with, you know, can you look at this home and auto policy for me? Um, 
you know, whatever it might be. And really, we just, you know, our, and I kind of came to the realization of like, Hey, you know what, why don't we do this for clients? And I kept asking, they're like, Oh, well, that doesn't pay a lot. And why would you waste your time with that? Or no, we're not licensed for that. And we never will be, uh, you know, focus on what's going to make the firm money. And for me, it was like, well, if I have this client, why don't we help them? There's so many different areas. They're giving us everything and asking us for help and everything. And we kind of say we do, everyone says, Oh, we do holistic planning and whatever, but we were really only focusing on like one or two things out of like six or seven, you know, it was, why don't we just do everything when we're there with them? So for me, it was, you know, uh, let's see, let's look around. I interviewed a bunch of places. Is there anywhere where anybody really does this at the time? At least I couldn't find anything. I probably did, I don't know, 15 to 20 different companies that I interviewed with just trying to figure it out. And uh, nobody really did that. So uh, that's kind of when I came to the realization of like, hey, you know what, let's just go for it and uh, see what happens. You know, I'll try it on my own. If it doesn't work, I can always go back and you know rejoin a larger firm. Um, but uh, it was definitely probably, or now it's definitely the best decision I've ever made. So pretty pleased with it at this point. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. And congrats. Thank you. Uh, so I, I heard you mention that you were kind of concerned that you may have, you know, trouble attracting people to work with you. Um, as a kind of a, a follow-up to that tidbit that you mentioned, I heard there's an interesting story about how you managed to reconnect with an old friend uh, who's now become a colleague and an integral part of the business. If you wouldn't mind, tell, tell us a little bit more about how that came about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's Tyler Dolan, who is our vice president. Um, you know, he's obviously, or he's also a certified financial planner. Uh, he does a lot of different things for us. He handles all the trading. He does all the taxes for our clients, a lot of different things that he does. But um, ultimately, you know, I was really looking to grow my practice. You know, the first few years, it was just myself. It was nice to kind of get out and do it. And then at that point, I said, you know, I need, if I want to be able to provide everything I want to, we need to be able to bring in more people to help with stuff. So um, oddly enough, I ran into a uh, one of my friends growing up, uh, his father at a grocery store, one that I never really go to. It was in a different town, but I was coming home from a meeting and usually I would go after the gym on a Saturday to the same one pretty much every week. I said, well, I'll, I'll pop into this one, a market basket, and I'll go here instead. And just in the parking lot, I ran into him and, uh, and talking with him. He's like, so what are you up to these days? And I was telling him and he's like, oh, you should connect with Tyler Dolan. And, uh, you know, he's doing something similar. And I forget if he mentioned he was looking to do something you know, or switch companies, whatever. I don't remember exactly how it unfolded. But, you know, at the time I was like, ah, you know, I don't know. He was, you know, he's three grades above me. So he was the senior when I was a freshman kind of thing. Uh, you know, the local stud, right? The captain of the hockey and baseball teams and all that stuff. So I did play one year with him um, of Little League Baseball. Uh, I always kind of played up because my brother was a couple years older. So to make it easy for my parents, I always had to play up, uh, which was good for me, I guess, but uh, not always fun in those times. But um, so, you know, I ended up uh, thinking about that and I went home and I looked and I was like, oh, he is a CFP and whatever. And then oddly enough, the very next weekend at a, the market basket I normally go to, who do I run into? But Tyler in uh, the produce section. And so, you know, we got, we started talking there and he was like, what do you do? And uh, we basically realized we do the exact same thing. So, um, you know, he was asking like where I worked and that kind of stuff and, and you know, how to basically like, how can we work together kind of thing potentially going forward. And so, uh, you know, we talked a little bit, I think over text or whatever, and then decided to meet up for drinks in our hometown. And uh, from there, that was kind of the end of it. That's when he uh, gave me the verbal commitment at the time. And um, yeah, we haven't looked back since. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. It, it really shows what you can find in grocery stores nowadays. Uh, <laughs> as, as they look like it was meant to be in a way, I guess it was like, yeah. hey, 
No, without a doubt. Definitely. Um, and it sounds like he's added, you know, a, a lot to the business as well, um, which, I, which I'm sure everybody appreciates. You offer comprehensive wealth management and financial planning services at Keenan. Emphasis on the comprehensive. Can you talk about the spectrum of services you offer and if that breadth of offering is central to, to the Keenan financial value proposition? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's 100% um, you know, valuable to us because that's, that is our full proposition. So our goal, as you mentioned in the opening, is to be a financial and insurance concierge for our clients. You know, anything financially or insurance related, you can call us, we'll be able to handle it for you. Um, you know, so we, we really start typically with uh, financial planning, which, you know, a lot of different firms do, you know, there's some who are some of the wirehouses, maybe just focus on asset management, right? Then you have some fee only financial planners. So we do both of those. Uh, we do life insurance, which again, is relatively common long term care, disability health insurance, that stuff's pretty common. Um, but we also add in the property and casualty. So homeowners, auto policies, renters, boats, things like that, what anything you need to insure, we can typically help you out with that. Uh, I'm also mortgage licensed, so we can help broker those for you as well. And then uh, we also have our tax team where we do clients taxes. So the goal, again, is to any questions you have, you can call us, we'll handle it for you. And since we do everything for you, it makes it that much easier. So, you know, if a client asks me, well, why would we, you know, do everything for you guys? You know, my response would be, well, when's the last time you were, uh, you know, your wealth manager, your money manager, your financial planner, your life insurance agent, uh, who maybe does your long-term care as well, whatever, your property um, and casualty insurance agent, uh, you know, your mortgage broker, and uh, what else am I thinking of here? You know, your accountant all got together and worked on your financial planning, uh, you know, at the same time. And the answer is typically never, right? But for us... Mm -hmm every day. I mean, that's what we do. So you know, I bet you would have a much better financial plan if your financial planner sat down with your accountant. Uh, you know, we work with other firms in Boston as well for the attorneys uh, to help with estate planning. But so we sit down with them a lot. But you know, if you get all those four or five people in a room together to work on just your financial plan, it's going to be a lot better than if you just go to some financial advisor who's like, yeah, you know, we do some financial planning and this and that, but they don't know the breadth of everything, which is, you know, one of the reasons why I got the CFP. I was like, well, you know, this is the highest designation that I could get for the planning. So let's do that. Uh, obviously, you know, that's a pretty uh, difficult exam, but it was something that I was like, this is absolutely worth it. If there's something I don't know, I need to know. So that's, we can then, you know, better serve our clients. So the goal is pretty much to just be able to do everything, but mm -hmm. uh, obviously some people will a la carte it, right? They might be like, oh, my, you know, my brother is a PNC agent. So I'm just going to keep my home and auto through him or whatever it is. And that's fine too. Um, but for the most part, most people will just say, yeah, this is great. You know, you guys uh, can handle it for us. So it's gotten a little bit more difficult since um, COVID now that everything's on Zoom and we're getting clients all over the country. So you got to get licensed in all different states and, and things like that. So it certainly put another obstacle in there, but it's also fun, you know, because then literally every single day is different. Every client you talk to, there's something different because not even their states don't have the same rules or tax laws or some things that are applicable to them as well. So, um, but it's a lot of fun, but that's definitely a hundred percent of what we do is, and that's how we stand out is we're just combining five or six, you know, because for us, we were saying we're referring all these people around. Nobody's really referring back to us, right? They all have existing relationships and this and that. So we figured why refer out business? We can keep it all in house. Uh, and then, you know, that way we can keep our fees lower because we're getting paid in five or six different ways. How are you incorporating investment research and portfolio construction into all the other things that you do as a business owner and advisor? Are there external resources or platforms that you have woven into your business? 
and how open is your architecture on the investment side? Yeah, it's a great question. So, I mean, it's very important, right? I mean, obviously putting a plan in place is very important, but then you have to take the actions on that plan and invest the money and make sure it's invested properly. So for us, I mean, as far as softwares go, you name it, we have it, uh, you know, in our industry, but we primarily, the two, you know, we use the most is probably uh, Tamarack and Morningstar are the two that we go into. Obviously, Bloomberg's a great one as well, but, um, you know, those are just the ones that we're most comfortable with. We have different planning softwares, whether it's Money Guide Pro or it's uh, eMoney, um, you know, again, you name it, we pretty much have it. So, um, but really we drive our investment philosophy from the financial planning. Right. If we don't know where you stand today and where you want to go, well, how do we know how to invest your money? If you just said, hey, here's a million dollars, invest it for me. Well, what's the goal? You know, what's the time horizon? What's your risk tolerance? What are we looking for? So typically we'll create the financial plan first to figure out where you are, where you need to be, and then how do we go about getting you there? You know, what's the rate of return we're going to need to get on top of your savings capability that's going to allow you to get there? So for some clients, we can be like, hey, you know, you can be more conservative here. And for other clients, we're like, hey, you know, unfortunately, we got to be a little bit more aggressive than you want to because we're behind. You know, we need to start saving a little bit more money if this is where you want to be. So uh, it really stems from the financial planning, but we keep it as open architecture as we can get. I mean, I, I don't think we can get any more open than we are now. You know, if there's an investment that an advisor can get their hands on, we're able to get our hands on it. So, uh, you know, any mutual funds, ETF, bond fund, you know, you name it, we should be able to do it unless there's some sort of proprietary, uh, you know, company one that they keep just for their company. But you know, let's be honest, they're typically not usually the best ones anyways. So uh, we're not too concerned about that. But um, yeah, so that's really the, the majority of it. You know, we don't have any Keenan financial mutual funds, Keenan financial, you know, insurance policies or anything that we offer. So we just kind of act as your quarterback. We go out, we find the best ones for you, and then we bring them to you. You know, here are your options. Here's option one, two, and three in order of what we think is best. And which one do you want to do? Typically, everybody picks number one. Uh, sometimes they pick number two. Uh, you know, sometimes someone, you know, we look at our portfolios now, typically 18, 20 funds, something like that inside of them. Uh, you know, we use Fidelity as our custodian who we love. But at the moment, I don't think we have a Fidelity fund in there at the moment. You know, that doesn't mean they don't have great funds. Of course they do. Um, mm -hmm. But at the moment for, you know, what we're looking at for some of our clients and the different portfolios that we have, I don't know if we have one in there and all of our portfolios are different. So um, but that just kind of speaks to the independence that we have in the open architecture and that, you know, we're not forced to use any certain funds or, you know, if we open up an account for you and, you know, we showed you a fund and maybe it had an iShares ETF in there or something and you said, well, I don't like iShares, no problem. We'll take it out. Here's the next best option for that one that we think fits you. Uh, you know, are you okay with, you know, the Vanguard or the Fidelity, T-Row or, you know, whoever it might be. And so that's really where it drives from, but it definitely stems from the financial planning because without a plan, we don't really know what we're trying to do. So you know, with all like those inputs and being able to kind of really amalgamate everything uh, into one, when you go and sit down with them to design the client portfolio, are, are you, do you typically lean towards actively managed investment products or are you passive or are you some sort of mixture in between? A little bit of a mixture in between. Uh, historically kind of leaned more um, passive just because, you know, the a lot of people tell you, you can't beat the market, right? Which is kind of true. You know, uh, sometimes I do say that. I'm like, if it was so easy to double your money in the market, everybody would do it and would all retire at 30. Uh, but unfortunately, nobody has that one crystal ball. Um, so, you know, we think 
the management is great too. You know, right now we're using it a little bit more in our bonds. You know, there, there's a lot of things going on with the interest rates, right? They keep uptaking and different things going on there. And then with the international funds, all the different things you're hearing and seeing on the news, everything going on in different countries. Well, you know, it's very, very difficult for us to try to, you know, myself individually keep on top of that as well as all the different stocks in the U.S. So if there's someone who specializes in, you know, Southeast Asia stocks or whatever it is, I would rather hear from them and the other professionals at multiple different companies who that's what they focus on. That's where they're, you know, they log in their computers every day. That's what they're reading about, just that one area. So, uh, you know, right now we're, we're going a little bit more active management in those areas so that they have the flexibility in what they want to move into and invest in inside of those funds um, rather than just being kind of stuck with an indice or something like that. But um it, it, it's definitely a, a blend and a mixture for us overall. Well, that's good. I mean, I think it, it definitely kind of keeps your options open and, and you know, provides you with the ability to choose the best, um, you know, the best product that fits your client's needs. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of options open, uh, you've mentioned that your clients have your personal cell phone number uh, and are welcome to reach out at any time. I'd love to know, do they? And, and you know, love to learn how, how this became kind of your part of your business practice and why it's important to you. Yeah, it's a great question. So for me, Back in the day, I was basically trained, don't give your cell phone numbers to the clients because they're going to call you on Saturdays and they're going to call you on, you know, 10 o'clock at night when you don't want to be called. Not the case, uh, not even close. Um, so for me, you know, I used to have an office phone and um, I used to just forward it to my cell phone anyways, because before Zoom and COVID in those days, we were, I was driving around to meetings all the time. So I was always on the go. And so some days I wouldn't even go into the office. So I didn't want voicemails to sit there for three or four days. Um, But what I realized is that there was always mistakes with the technology, right? Like it wouldn't always forward. It wouldn't always do what I wanted to do. And even if I saved a voicemail on the desk phone and on my cell phone that it was supposed to forward to, occasionally it would just be like, you have reached 617. And then it just sounded kind of sketchy and weird, Uh, which a couple of people mentioned that. So I was like, all right, I'm done with this. So I just was like, here's my cell phone, gave everyone my cell phone. So You know, my clients will call me or text me on the exact same phone that my mom calls me on. And, uh, you know, for me, that's very important. I want you to know it's your money that we're investing. Like, this is your life savings. You know, it's serious work. And you, if you need access to anything, give me a call and we'll be able to help you with it. You know, I did have one client one time. I remember she called me on a Saturday and I wasn't really doing anything. And she's a great client, actually the first one I ever got. Um, she doesn't know that, but, uh, you know, I never told her that maybe I will someday, but, you know, so I was like, oh, she's great. And so I answered the phone and she was thrown off. She was caught off guard. She's like, ah, oh, sorry. I was just going to leave you a voicemail. I didn't expect you to pick up. She's like, oh, what did I call about? Hold on. Now I'm forgetting. Uh, cause she didn't expect me to, but I was like, Hey, I'm not really doing anything at the moment. It was like, you know, 12 o'clock or something. So I figured I'd answer it in case she needed something. But, um, you know, a lot of times it'll stem, you know, during like tax season, which we just got through clients will be sitting down with their accountant and they're like, Hey, do you have your, you know, your 5498 or whatever the form they might need for contributions or a capital gain statement, whatever. And, you know, they won't have that tax form on them. And then they're panicking. They don't always remember their logins or they don't have a laptop with them. They can't log in. And so if you just call me, whether I'm in a meeting or not, you know, I, I can do it for you or I can have someone else send it over to you. And that way it's, it's just quick and easy. But for the most part, you know, most people call between nine and five. Uh, very rarely does anyone call before nine and very rarely does anyone call after like six, I would say. Uh, that's very rare that we see that. So, um, and, you know, I always try to answer and get back to them within 24 hours at the latest. Um, but, 
you know, typically people aren't expecting you to get back so quick. You know, I'll, I'll get an email and I'll reply, you know, if I'm not doing anything, I'm working on some stuff and someone sends an email, I reply back right away. And they're always you know, surprised that I answered so quick. And I was like, well, it's just working on, you know, these things over here and your email popped up. So I figured I'd answer it for you. So for me, that stuff is just very important to be able to get back to them is, you know, for me, when I look around with different services, pretty much just the responsiveness is really what I care about in a lot of different things. Even if you're not necessarily the best at whatever it is I'm hiring you for, I mean, hopefully you're pretty good, but uh, you know, if you're not the best, as long as you respond and you tell me what's going on with what you're doing for me or whatever, then I'm, I'm very happy with that. It sounds like you are extremely focused on your clients and meeting their needs. Of all the things that you offer in your role and relationship with them, what is it that they need most from you and can't get from a robo-advisor or a DIY approach to financial management? Oh, that's a good one. Um, so at first I was going to say, what, what do they need from me? It's usually um, assurance or just confidence. You know, most of the time, if someone comes to us and say they want retirement planning, you know, almost always the response is, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to retire, right? And usually, or I shouldn't say usually, but a lot of times a lot of doing the planning and depends on what their age is. You know, if they're like, I don't think I'll be able to retire like 70. We're like, hey, you could retire at 60. Like things are looking pretty good here, you know? And they're like, wow. Or sometimes we'll come across people, you know, in their later 50s or early 60s, same thing. But like, I don't know if I ever can. And hey, you could retire today if you want to, and you'd be perfectly fine. And so for them, it's kind of that peace of mind where, you know, a lot of them have even told us that they enjoy working more now. They're like, you know, the fact that I know that I could just walk out that door at any point if I got too fed up with this, they're like, it just makes the day so much easier now. Um, you know, knowing that they don't have to necessarily maybe cater to their boss as much as they thought they had to or whatever it might be. So um, that's usually, I would say, typically what they want is just kind of the confidence knowing that they're not making any mistakes. Uh, as far as the robo advisors go, I mean, sure, in theory, they're great, right? Uh, I'm not saying they're terrible. If you're just starting out, maybe, you know, that might be not a bad idea, but I'm not putting my life savings in a technology system. Uh, you know, as we mentioned before, we have pretty much any software technology you would want to have in this industry and they glitch and make mistakes all the time. Uh, you know, and we catch that. That's why we watch it and we see it go through. And if anything seems off, we go in and we manually fix it and make sure that it does. Of course, we use it to automate things and make things a lot easier. And you know, we can trade all the accounts at one time instead of having to go in and individually trade every account. So that saves us a ton of time, but we do have to double check them and we have to make sure that they do what they're supposed to do. So that's kind of nerve wracking from my standpoint is like, I don't know, man, I wouldn't put all of my money in there and just let it ride and just let a software do what a software does. Um, you know, there's bugs in all of them, but uh, usually it's just the peace of mind that the clients want. But the other part of it is making the mistakes, right? So the robo advisors, like maybe they can do a little planning these days. I haven't really looked into them a ton, uh, mainly because when they first came out, those were questions you got. Why should I invest with you instead of a robo advisor? We don't really get them as much anymore. So, I mean, I haven't looked into it. Maybe their assets under management are going up, but they seem to be less popular of, of, across the, or the people that we come across. Um, so from that standpoint, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm not too concerned about those. I think it's just, uh, you know, when it comes to mistakes, there's other things that the robo-advisors can't do, whether they just manage your money or they just do planning. I don't know. Maybe you might know, is there any that do both? I mean, none that I'm really aware of like, hey, here's a financial plan and now we're going to invest your money in this. And then it just automatically does it, but also mistakes, you know, we'll manage money for clients. And, you know, to give you a story, I had one client who uh, he was about 30 years old and he wanted to, he just changed companies and wanted to move his 401k over to us in an IRA and have us manage it for him. So he's like, uh, I'm just going to go online and do it. And he went to do it online. And, uh, you know, he had pre-tax money in there. He had Roth money in there and he had after-tax money, which he initially thought before he met me was 
basically the Roth. He said, well, I want to put some money in after tax so I don't get taxed on it. So then the money, you know, he had pre-tax obviously grown, moved that to the traditional IRA. The little bit of Roth after he met me when I was like, oh, that's probably the one you want. You know, he moved that into a Roth IRA. And then the company on the other end was saying, all right, now we're going to move this to a brokerage account for you. You know, just a non-qualified brokerage. And I was like, well, I don't think we want to do that. Even at the time, I was like, you might get a 10% penalty on this for early withdrawal being younger. I'm not 100% sure on that. But I was like, regardless, let's move it into the Roth because you've already paid tax on that. And let's let it grow tax-free, you know, for the next, you know, he was 30 years old, 30, 35 years. And he had $50,000 in after-tax money that he had contributed over like the previous eight years or so. And, uh, you know, I didn't really push it because he went online and wouldn't let him do it. Then I said, let's call him. Like, I'll hop on the call with you, make sure it goes through. He said he called them and they said they couldn't do it. And I was like, we absolutely can. Like, let's get on the line with them. So I finally got, he finally let me on the line, I should say, and let me do it with him. And they got, whoever's on the other end of the phone, got their manager on. We got it rolled over to his Roth. And then, you know, he called me like a week later and he was like, you know, we had 50,000 in there. And then he's just like, rule of 72 doubles. You know, if you get a 7% rate of return, doubles every 10 years. It's like, so when I'm 40, you know, it would be worth 100,000, 50, 200. It's like, when I say I retire at 60, it's like, it'd be worth 400,000. He's like, you just saved me taxes on $350,000 of money that I had saved. He's like, now that's going to grow tax-free. And uh, I was like, yeah, you know, I know, you know. And he's like, next time you yell at me and call me an idiot and tell me, make sure that I do what you want me to do. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's little things like that. I think that having a person to talk to, having someone on the other line, uh, you know, I don't know if the robo advisors are really good with, if you have age discrepancies, you know, if you're going to retire at 65 and your spouse is 50, I mean, there's different planning we got to do there. What are the social security ramifications of that and, and different things that go into it. So, um, you know, obviously divorce and, and stuff like that, helping you get forms filled out, right? If you get a 403B or a TSP or something like that, and you need to get it rolled over, it's typically paperwork. Robo is not going to fill that out for you. We'll fill it out for you. Uh, you know, or pension options, you can take single life, joint life and all that stuff that just gets factored into the financial planning. So um, I think there's a lot of stuff that we do that robo advisors, I mean, I shouldn't say never be able to do chat GPT is pretty good these days. But uh, you know, I, I still think it helps to have a person on the other end of it. No, without a doubt. And and this is a one of the most, I think, human businesses, you know, that, that are out there, that's out there. Um, mm -hmm. you know, just because you're really people want to be able to sit and talk to somebody without a doubt. Um, and we've had a, we've heard from a couple of different podcast uh guests before about the importance of having empathy. How does empathy make somebody a better advisor, in your opinion? Um, you care about the client. Uh, is really what I think. Um, you know, it shouldn't be about how much you're going to make, how much you're going to make off this client. Uh, it should be how can you help this client? I always say if, if you help the client, the money will always follow because they'll give you referrals, they'll do other things, and you'll eventually make money from helping that person. I mean, typically you would anyways, uh, you know, because we do get paid for our work, but, uh, you know, it's, it's not chasing commissions and doing anything like that. So, um, you know, in, in my opinion, if you do what's right for the client, you'll never have an issue. So I always believe in what's called like a no sell sale, right? Not that we're really selling anything, but I always say, if you find yourself in a position where you feel like you need to sell something to the client, where you're like, all right, how do I pitch this to the client? How do I, you know, or like, let's get pumped. Let's go in there and sell this thing. Um, it's probably not right for the client. Because if it's right for them, you don't have to sell it to them. It sells itself. You know, if we do a financial plan and we show them how the plan works and we think you should invest in you know, this aggressive of a portfolio or whatever with these funds and they see how it's going to play out, then they're like, well, that makes sense. Let's do that. 
I agree. Right. So, um, you know, where I was trained to sell certain products and, and certain amounts of insurances and, and other stuff that goes into it, that's just, you know, eventually I just got sick of it. I was like, why are we arguing with the clients about what they want to do with their money? You know, if you show what's the best option, I don't know what their actual rate is, but 90% or more choose the best option. Like I said earlier, occasionally someone will take the second option because they didn't want you know, a Schwab fund or something, because they had a Schwab fund one day and it lost money, you know, back in like 08, 09 or something. And they're like, so Schwab stinks. And you're like, no, it's a great company. They, their investments are great. It's just, um, you know, you, you, it was the timing of when you were in there. But if you don't want Schwab, no problem. We'll move you into Vanguard or whatever it is. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's something that, um, you know, we definitely see with clients. So I think the, you know, the empathy on, on that aspect of it is just helping people. You know, I feel like these days with social media and all that, everyone's thoughts are, you know, for me, whether it comes to the advisors that we have underneath us and how we help them and train them or our clients, you know, that we work with, you know, most people's thoughts are like, you know, well, am I, do people like me? Like how many people could I get to come to a party or whatever, or something like that? If I were to throw a party for me, it's more the opposite. It would be like, well, how many people would come to my funeral? You know, how many people did I impact that they would be like, wow, without Brian, I wouldn't be, you know, where I am today. Like for the help that he gave us for what he did for us. Like I want to go pay my respects or whatever it is. So I kind of look at it the opposite way um, where it's more of, you know, I'm hoping to make an impact on everybody. You know, I tell them if they're working at a certain company, send me over your benefits, you know, send me your SPD, your summary plan description, right. And, and all your other stock options, everything else goes into it. it's typically 75 pages or more. We're going to read through it all. We're going to make sure you're taking every single benefit that you can. You know, oftentimes you can get our fees waived because uh, certain companies will pay for fees for a financial plan uh, for you. If you want, you just get submit for a reimbursement. So sometimes we find that after the fact, we're like, hey, guess what? You're going to get your money back. You know, and we helped you anyways. So, um, you know, just little things like that, that just try to make as much of an impact as you can. And so I do think that the you know empathy goes a long way in actually caring what's best for pretty much everybody around you. No, it's great. And it's it's very clear that your business is built to serve and, and do what's right for your clients 24-7, 365, uh, which isn't always the, you know, the way people in our industry are perceived. Did you have an experience in your early in your career that led you to holding this out as your North Star? Yeah, bunch, unfortunately. Uh, or I shouldn't really say a bunch, but um, you know, it was more or less I was told to sell certain products and, and certain things. And, you know, I remember after doing a little bit of analysis or on it or after being in the industry for a year, you know, because initially you're, you have to have some trust in the company you work for, right? Or you think that you get hired by a company and they're like, hey, this is best for the client. Go sell it. It just happens to have a big commission on it. And you're like, okay, like whatever. Um, you know, and then you offer that thinking that's best. And, you know, I basically got to the point where I was like, well, why are we offering so much of this, so much of this, so much of that? When, you know, and just talking with people, other adults that I knew in my life, like none of them had it. And then I remember asking like my managers and VPs and the executives, I was like, do you guys have this? Like, can you open your account and show me this? Or can you log in and show me this for you? And, you know, they're all like, I'm not going to do that and whatever. And my thought is like, why not? You know, I'll show anybody my accounts right now. It's got, you know, anybody that I work with who, you know, they'll see that we practice what we preach. My the investments I'm in are the same ones that, you know, clients are in who have might be in the same portfolio as me. So, um, you know, for me, it was kind of when I realized that I was like, well, if you wouldn't purchase this for yourself or, you know, you wouldn't sell this to your parents, then why are we selling it to other people? And, you know, that was definitely a big realization for me. Well, I was like, well, this thing's okay. Uh, It's not great. You know, each investment or product has a reason they exist, right? There's a a time and a place for each one, but a lot of them are niche and kind of the more niche you get, the bigger the commission typically for advisors. So 
a lot of people still try to sell that to almost everybody because they're like, well, I get a big commission. I make a lot of money right now. And I was like, I'm in this for the long haul. You know, I'm re- at the time I was like, I'm relatively young. Uh, you know, I, I want to make money over the course of my career. I don't want to be doing it just in one year and have to keep doing this over and over and over and over again. I want to get a base of clients, provide a great service. And now we're pretty much, you know, for me or yeah, I've been referral only for like six years, um, you know, which is nice. So Uh, you know, I don't actively prospect for clients. I just take the ones who, you know, call in or, you know, ask for me based off working with my clients or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, I think it's the, the realization for me was just when I was like, well, I wouldn't sell this to my parents. So why would I sell it to anyone else? And once I got to that point, it was like, all right, like we need, I need to, you know, start looking for something else and maybe make some changes here. No, completely understand. Uh, so you mentioned that you've been referral only for about six years with that kind of as the base case or the base, you know, your, your, your client base for, uh, for growth. If we look out over the next two to three years, are there any specific growth or other goals uh, that you're focused on as a business? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, for us, I mean, I think, you know, we're, yeah, we've doubled our revenue every single year. Um, you know, we've grown a little bit now and we have uh, more advisors and so we're on pace to double it again. But uh, I think going forward, we'll probably be to, you know, from what we have this year, probably this time next year, we have double the amount of advisors and hopefully more than double our revenue. Um, you know, but it, it, it does go back to, you know, our empathy a little bit, right? Where, uh, you know, the goal is obviously to open offices in other cities and continue to grow. But, um, you know, revenue is important for us, but it's not the end all goal. Uh, so what I mean by that is, you know, obviously we, we like to help advisors produce and generate a certain amount of income, but eventually some people hit certain numbers and they're like, Hey, I'm comfortable with this. You know, they might be like, I'm 27 years old. I'm making, you know, 250 or $300,000. Like, I don't want to keep grinding and try to get more clients. I know my practice is going to grow or whatever. And my thought is awesome. Good for you. You know, tailor it down, sit on it. I'm not going to, you know, bother you to do more business quarter over quarter because we're some publicly traded company or we have shareholders or a board we got to impress or anything like that. Like, I don't care if you put up bigger numbers every quarter. I hope for you, you want to or whatever. But if you hit a goal that you're comfortable at, wherever your income threshold is, I'm happy for you. Um, so I, you know, I think from that standpoint, it's nice too, cause we don't, we don't bug anybody. We don't bother them about trying to make more and more money. You know, it's not like we're not a hundred percent money driven. And I think that goes a long way where then our, our, you know, our advisors do more of the recurring revenue and whatever. And therefore our revenue just keeps growing and growing and growing. Whereas if we're just chasing upfront, you know, higher payout commissions or something like that, well, then you got to do it again and again and again and again, every single year. Who wants to do that? So, you know, we train our advisors to do it in the best interest of the client, which is honestly the best interest of you long-term. Maybe right now it doesn't feel like that, but in three years, you're going to be thankful you did it that way. And obviously every year after that. So um, yeah, I think the goals would just be to continue to do what we do. You know, we don't have some number of revenue or profit or anything that we shoot for. Um, You know, the the main goal for us is to develop great advisors. Uh, You know, I say it all the time. I'm like, if if I can be the worst advisor at the firm, then we're going to have a pretty good firm. You know, if I'm generating the least amount of business and I know the least of everything out of everyone else. If someone's like, well, I have a question on this. And they're like, oh, well, don't ask Brian. Like he's, he knows less than all of us. I'd be like, great, this is a great firm. Like we're doing pretty well. So um, yeah, I think it'll just be to continue to bring in more advisors and train them and teach them what we do and how we've built our practice and how we help other advisors build their practices as fast as they possibly can. You know, I built mine in, in three years of active prospecting. Um, and that's what we teach our advisors and the goal is to get them there, if not faster than me. So, uh, you know, when they, when we recommend 
when they do something, they look over and they see that I'm doing the exact same thing. So why not do it? Um, yeah. So yeah, that's that's kind of our goal. Let's just keep generating and keep growing good advisors. And uh, that way, the more advisors we have, the more people we can ultimately help. That's that's an awesome outlook. And I wish you guys nothing but the best success. Um, you mentioned kind of hiring advisors and kind of growing the practice that way as well. What would you say to anyone thinking about breaking away from a wirehouse or a large you know, firm model and going independent? Um, do it. Um, really, it, it it's, I, I don't know, it comes down to confidence in yourself, I think. So I always try to tell the advisors that the, the clients aren't hiring, you know, Keenan Financial, or they're not hiring you to be their advisor, because I run the company or something like that. They're hiring you because you, they like you. Whereas, you know, I have some friends who work at the wirehouses and every time I talk to them, I can definitely tell that, you know, the, the pitch from the higher ups coming down to them is, well, the clients only work with you because you work at, you know, XYZ company, which is just not the case at all. I mean, even when I left, you know, the other companies, my clients came with me every single time. Um, so it's, it's something you got to realize, like they're going to go with you. Yeah. You might lose five or 10% of your book, but that's going to happen because there's going to be people who don't answer. I mean, everyone I got on the phone came with me. Uh, there was nobody who said no, but there was people who never picked up, but there's people who invest with you anyways. And then you three, five years go by, you haven't talked to them. You send them, you know, 10 emails a year, they don't respond. You call them five times, they don't respond. Um, so, you know, you might get some of those people who, who don't necessarily come back or come with you. But at the same time, you're going to be getting paid so much more money. Uh, you know, our advisors make twice as much as some of those wirehouse people, if not more than that. Um, so I think it's, it's definitely nice. I mean, I know I haven't really worked in one, so I don't know the open architecture either. I don't know if you're required to do certain, you know, funds of your company or whatever, but if you can be independent and just search and find all the best ones, um, that's what I would want to do. I wouldn't want to be, you know, in a, in a stuffy office right now on a nice 70, almost 80 degree Friday day, right. Where it's uh, sunny and, um, you know, I'd rather be able to work from home like this or wherever I am that, uh, it just makes things easier. So I would say believe in yourself and just trust your gut and, and go for it. I think that's great advice. Um, what is the skill, speaking of advice, what is the skill that you believe an advisor starting out on their journey today should focus on developing? Is confidence a skill? I don't know. Um, I think I, it can be a learned one. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's something that doesn't come natural to everybody, but a lot of people, uh, I think I found people with a lack of confidence, um, can be some of the smartest people out there. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you just want to be able to be smooth when you're talking with people, right? Mm -hmm. So. Um, you know, I didn't really know exactly all the questions we were going to get into today, but I was confident to be able to answer them in a relatively professional manner, right? Where we'd have some fun, but they'd come off well. And same for you. You don't know how I'm going to respond, but you're confident in your abilities that you'll still be able to keep you know, the, the interview going the way that you want to. So it's, I think that's the biggest thing that like we have some advisors who, you know, who are some of our younger advisors who are right out of school or whatnot, and um, they know everything. And then as soon as they get into a meeting with clients, they pretty much freeze up. And then you, know, you can kind of see they, you know, they might turn a little bit red and they get nervous. And then you're just like, hey, take a deep breath, like relax. Like you know the answers to everything they're gonna ask. You mm -hmm. probably know way more than they than they think you even know. So just talk to them, ask them, you know, why they took a meeting with you, you know, for basically what they're looking for help with, you know, what you think you might be able to help them on, what the goals are, time horizon, risk tolerance, all that, you know, just some of the basic stuff until you get more comfortable and then dive deeper into everything else. So I would say it's just believing in yourself and having the confidence that, you know, if they're taking a meeting with you, they want, they're interested in financial planning. So typically 
what I, what I, you know, joke with our team about, I'm like, as long as you don't give them a reason not to hire you, they're probably going to hire you. You know, like, when is the last time you went for a consultation with a doctor? And then maybe some people have, and you know, maybe your shoulder hurts or something and you need to get a shoulder surgery. And you're like, I don't know, man, I don't think I'm going to let that guy do surgery on me. Like pretty much never, you know, they're like, Hey, here's your x-ray or your MRI or whatever. Here's the problem here. Here's what we would need to do to be able to fix it. And you're like, that sounds great. Let's do it. Um, so it's, it's usually, unless you give them a reason for them to think that like, oh, I don't know, something seemed a little off there. It was a little bit weird when we started talking about this, he seemed a little sketchy or something like that, then they're probably going to hire you. So, you know, if, if you're good at marketing or just getting yourself in front of people, and then you just act like a normal person, don't be too uptight and all that, you know, you don't have to have a full suit on with tie and all all the time anymore. You know, obviously we're both dressed relatively casually today, which is nice. Um, so I think it's just, having confidence in yourself that you, know, you can do the job uh, really, I would say is what it is in the best interest of the clients. And then it should be relatively easy. Well, that's very sound advice. And, uh, and, and I love, love hearing it. I mean, I think empathy is definitely one of the things that, you know, I've heard before and, and I personally believe in, as I can tell you do, uh, but confidence is, is, is definitely something that I think you need in this business. And for some uh, can come a little bit later than others, but yep. either way, I think it's, you know, it's definitely, you know, a skill that needs to be learned and, and used. Absolutely. So now we're coming to the conclusion of our interview process here, uh, which we greatly appreciate you being a guest on the podcast. And so I've got a couple of closing questions for you. All right. Uh, let me know when you're ready. I'm ready. Okay. Nickname. Keenan. Hobby. Golf and boating. Favorite mountain to ski. Park City. Yep. Profession if you weren't an advisor. Probably something fun like a dolphin trainer or maybe like a, a bartender at like an exotic resort or something. Bucket list travel def destination where I guess you would be a bartender at. Somewhere warm, some island somewhere for sure. Last thing you watched for fun. Succession I think was the last one that I saw. Early bird or night owl. Early bird these days. Most used emoji in text messaging. Not a super fun one, but it's got to be just a thumbs up. Best place you've ever golfed. I would say Vidanta in Mexico. Favorite Boston sports team. Probably the Patriots. The 60-40 portfolio, a classic or a relic. Both. Favorite way to get active. Usually just the gym. 